Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favre. Listen, can I tell you why you're blessed? You're blessed because you're in the land of the living. You're blessed because there's still oxygen running through your body. You're blessed because you have the activity of your limbs and and a reasonable portion of health and strength. So for that, we just ought to give God praise. I am so glad to be with you in the pastor's office this afternoon. We just left service, and I've got to tell you, I'm on a spiritual high. Today, we preached from 2 Samuel, the 21st chapter, the 15th through the 22nd verses. The title of our sermon was Giant Problems, Giant Problems. And I want to encourage you when you get a chance, go to our Northeast Baptist Church Frankfurt YouTube page or go to our Northeast Baptist Church Facebook page and check out this sermon because I want you to know that we all have giant problems. We've all got issues, but we've got to understand that we've got to take our giants seriously because all of them can destroy us. We've got to understand that our giants are going to keep coming no matter how pretty we are, no matter how intelligent we are, no matter how saved we are, our giants are going to keep coming. We've got to understand as well that our giants can be defeated because God gave us some help. Oh, I'm ready to preach right now, but I'm going to stop because we've got a great show for you today. A historic week is coming upon us, a historic week where we are going to transition from this 45th presidency to the presidency of Joseph R. Biden and the vice presidency of Kamala Harris. Uh, I don't know where you're going to be on the 20th, but I know I'm going to be front and center because I want to witness this transition. Uh, I want to witness this transition not because two people want an election. Uh, I want to witness this because God has attempted to tell us something through this administration and through this pandemic and now through this transition. And I believe he's telling us that the time now is for prayer, that the time now is to worship him, that the time now is to come back to Jesus. Because if we don't accept Jesus, if we don't accept uh, uh, what God is trying to tell us, he'll shake up our normal again. I'm not telling you something that I'm thinking. I'm telling you something that's biblical and something that's factual. When we don't hear God He shakes up our normal. And I think some of us can testify to the fact that we've had enough shaking 
in this last 12 months. So let's come on back to God. And if you are a child of the King, you better go tell somebody about a God that can save anybody. Listen, we've got a great show coming for you uh, today. Uh, we've got Democratic strategist and best-selling author Chuck Rocha, uh, who will be here to talk to us about impeachment, uh, about President Biden's new administration and vision, uh, and about what we can expect from a Washington that is led now by Democrats in all three branches of the government. And then after Chuck Rocha, we are going to have Dr. Alveda King, the niece of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, she's going to talk to us about race and equality in society, and she's also going to tell us a little bit of why she has supported Donald Trump throughout his administration. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to hang out and hold on, because we'll be right back after these commercial messages with our guest coming in to the pastor's office. Philly's favorite listeners, this is an historic week coming up in the life of our country. Uh, there will be a transition of power, a peaceful transition of power from the 45th president of these United States, Donald J. Trump, to Joseph R. Biden. Uh, with that on the horizon, uh, I wanted to bring in one of the top Democratic strategists uh, in this country. Uh, he is an author uh, of the book, T.O. Bernie, uh, the inside story of how Bernie Sanders brought Latino voters into the political revolution. He's also a former advisor to presidential candidate. Senator Bernie Sanders. I want to welcome into the pastor's office this Sunday afternoon, Mr. Chuck Rocha. Chuck, welcome into the pastor's office. Thanks, to have it. Thanks for having me, brother. It's an honor to be here. Well, listen, I want to jump right into it with you. Uh, we've got the transition coming up on the 20th at noon. Uh, Chuck, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but it can't come any faster. <laughs> I, you know, I live, I've been honored to live here in our nation's capital. I grew up, as you can tell from my voice, in rural East Texas. But living here on Capitol Hill and, and living through how this town has had to change and been under a constant state of anxiety over the last four years, it couldn't come any sooner for me. And then after I, what I witnessed here in my hometown last week with an attempted overthrow of our capital makes me almost ashamed of what we're having to go through to get to this final conclusion, which was a democratically elected leader, which is Joe Biden uh, and our great soon-to-be Vice President Kamala Harris, who's also a good friend of mine. Uh, it couldn't come any sooner. And I think America is going to get a sense of relief having an adult back in the presidency so we can get this country back on track and try to get us through this COVID disaster that all of us are living through. Yeah, I, I saw that you are a resident of D.C., and I call January 6th, uh, in my own little way, calamity at the Capitol. It's something I never saw before, something I never thought I would see uh, in this lifetime. I mean, you're there in D.C. What was it like uh, to be so close to ground zero of what was really an attempted overthrow of our government? It was really, really uh, hard to imagine. Like, first of all, you didn't think that it was really going to happen, and I live on Capitol Hill, let me be clear, in Washington. I'm 15 blocks behind the Capitol. Uh, me and you are old enough to realize that I live between the Capitol and RFK Stadium, which is right behind the old RFK where the Redskins played That's football right. uh, against the Philadelphia Eagles every now and then. <laughs> and uh, so I live that far. I mean, not far at all 
from the Capitol. And so I, I have a home office like the rest of us. And I started seeing tweets and things about the rally and about people headed to the Capitol. And, you know, then I turned on my TV like everybody else. And, you know, I've, I've done a little civil disobedience in my day and I have fought for workers' rights and the rights of folks in a nonviolent fashion. So I thought that, well, that's probably where we're headed. You have the right to march down to the Capitol and stand outside and let your voice be heard. That's it's a, dem- a democracy. But when I saw them start heading up towards the steps, and I drive by that Capitol on my bicycle, you know, two or three times a week when I try to get out and get some exercise in on my bike, because I just love that was Capitol grounds because that's my tax dollars at work. That's my Capitol. That's the people's Capitol. Right. I just felt like they were attacking my home and I felt almost violated watching what I was watching on TV that day. And now we're looking at 21,000 federal troops uh, in the Capitol and on the grounds of the Capitol with more to come. And as we listened to Chris Ray yesterday uh, giving a briefing to Vice President Pence, there's chatter uh, that there will be uprisings all across the country and in D.C. Uh, on the 20th. Is, is it a thing of these people just can't give it up? Are they, have they totally lost uh, their grip on reality or are they just uh, Trump sycophants? I think it's a combination of all three. I think there's a crazy part of this country, Rev, that me and you have lived through that we just know are racist, crazy Americans who Donald Trump has emboldened, right? So you set that class of people. They've always existed going back through our history. What makes it different now is they have a way to communicate, or at least they did up until a few days ago, in mass with Facebook and Twitter, where they can now self-organize. And Donald Trump has taught them as racist or as white nationalists, it's okay to be out in the sunlight and be out with everybody can see your face because we used to let those people just hide in the shadows. So Donald Trump showed them that it's okay to come out, and so you're seeing a lot more of that. That's A. B, I think there's so much disinformation on the Internet that I want to give a lot of those folks or some of those folks who aren't just racist sycophants uh, They've been misled. Their president lied to them. What they see on their Facebook algorithm lies to them. What they read and where they consume media lies to them. That they really think that the damn thing, that they really think that the, that the election oh, was Oh, speak stolen, your mind, it Chuck. Unfair. It's all right. Speak your <laughs> mind. <laughs> they, they really feel like that it was stolen. And like me and you, if we felt like somebody was trying to overthrow our government, we would want to rise up too. We probably wouldn't go to oh, trying to overthrow our government, but we would rise up and let our voice be heard. But because they've been fed so much disinformation from Donald Trump right on down, they really feel like they've been wronged. So so I, I, I got to say this, though, but now, uh, well, there's a couple things. One, Biden's about to take over. Uh, I want to deal with that here in a moment. But he is taking over a mess. Uh, and you say that these people feel like they've been led wrong. Listen, Trump got over 74 million votes. Uh, when this is all said and done at noon on January 20th, what happens to those 74 million people? Uh, is it Can they assimilate back into normal society? Can they, can they like after the Civil War, uh, what we thought, uh, uh, lay down their arms and just come back to, the, to these United States? I mean, wh- wh- what do you see in our near future? I think that people who think that it, it ends on January the 20th, are going to be in for a rude awakening. It doesn't end there. I think that it could calm some, 
but it nowhere near ends because these people, those 74 million people, many of them feel like the majority of them, to be honest, feel like they've been slighted and that something was taken from them. And, it, and, and most of the crowd, let's be honest, are white people. Uh, and white people feel like, already felt like they are uneasy, these particular white people, not all white people, that, 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 that black people, that brown people, that uh, Muslims, that anybody who don't look like them or from their particular part of the neighborhood are trying to take something from them. So they're not going away easily. And they'll try to run candidates. They'll try to win elections. They'll try to beat Republicans. And you know what? That part of our democracy, I'm okay with. Like, if you want to run somebody for office that you think represents your values to beat my person, then you come at me and let's have a democratic election, your team against my team. And if your team wins, they get to be in office until I get to try to beat them again. But I really worry about the next level anarchist stuff where folks will be disruptive at state capitals. They'll have guns around. They'll do these things that are just against the law, which I think will be the biggest harm to our democracy in the next couple of years. I got to tell you, Chuck, what just blows my mind, though, uh, there and I'm assuming that you probably have this same situation. There are friends that I've had for years uh, before Trump started running and before Trump was elected. We went to each other's homes. We went to weddings. We went to baby showers. We celebrated holidays together. Uh, but then when Trump entered into the political arena with all of his beliefs and all of his bluster, I found that there was a great divide between me and my some of my friends. Uh, and, and I really called into question the friendship because I could not believe that some of these folks were supporting his ideology and his beliefs. Now, fast forward four years later, here's what still gets me going crazy. Some of them are still with him. Some of them are still on the bandwagon. Some of them do believe that the election was stolen. They believe he should be the rightful president. I have never seen anything like this in my life. Somebody's got to help me make sense of this. Chuck, help me, please. I wish I could put a, a thumb on it, but let me give you my story on that. So I grew up in East Texas. I grew up in a Baptist church with a lot of my family. My family were Mexican immigrants who had come to East Texas, had actually worked on a cotton farm that my grand owned, but it was small. So he had a bunch of children to pick that cotton. He had 15 kids. My dad had 15 brothers and sisters, and they, and they would pick the cotton on our family little 30-acre farm, and that's how the Rocha family got to East Texas in Kemp, Texas. Well, my aunt, who I went to church with since I was a little boy, and the nicest, kindest woman you've ever met in your life. Well, over the last five or six years, I've watched her on Facebook become a little bit more and more radicalized. Now, I, I'm not joking with you when I tell you that this woman darkens the door of the West Irwin Baptist Church every time the door is open. She's there for Bible study. She teaches Bible study. Her husband was the choir director. She's there for Wednesday services. And she is a Trumper through and through, and probably the most God-fearing woman I've ever known. And it just blew my mind. So I don't try to have a conversation with her because this is my aunt. I want to know what's up. She And that's when I was talking about fed misinformation. The things that she will rebut back to me are the craziest things. Like, Chuck, the Democrats want to hurt children. I don't want children hurt. Or the Democrats want to – I'm like, ain't Pat. That's just not factually accurate. And then we start this debate over facts. And I think this is how they've gotten to some good people. It's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Listen, let's move because I know we have limited time with you. I, I want to talk about – the impeachment, because I've got mixed views on it. Uh, I can understand 
the belief and the support for Trump to be punished uh, for what he did. Uh, there's no question in my mind when I look at the speeches that were given on the morning of January 6th that they incited that riot. That they sent those people down there with the intent and the purpose to do exactly what they did. But here's my concern. We're impeaching this president with only a few days left in his term. We're considering having the trial after he's already out of office just so that we can potentially stop him from running for office again. Is it not better to let somebody like this fade off into the sunset must we continue this fire burning after Biden takes office on the 20th? I think you can make the argument either way. And I think what you're saying does make sense on uh, does the country want to go through another one of these uh, things that we're doing with impeachment. And then there's the other side of our party, of this party, that says that, you know, there has to be repercussions. And uh, somebody said, I think it was maybe on one of the radio talk shows that I was listening to yesterday morning, and they were like, well, would you, if somebody came in into your house and, and, and did something to a loved one or did something to one of your pets, could you just say, let's get past it, or would you want punishment? Now, what punishment looks like is a debatable argument here, and what we need to go through together is the other debatable argument, because I do think that there needs to be some type of repercussions for something that is horrendous is what we saw. But I think that we will be debating long after this is over whether this was a pertinent as far as the timing goes as we're trying to turn the page on an ugly chapter in American history. Yeah, and, and it just concerns me that, that, that continuing this will continue to fan the flame. And, and I do believe that some of the radical terrorists uh, that support him uh, will be supercharged to continue the violence, will be supercharged to try to seek revenge against innocent people. I watched some of the interviews of these Capitol Police officers, and it just saddened me. It brought a tear to my eye to see how they were—they almost lost their life uh, in this in this crowd. So, I, I, I'm, I, as as an old guy used to say, I'm betwixt and between on this. I I think they ought to let him get out of office and figure out how to put him in jail uh, as long as they can. Uh, but I think we need to let this fire fan out. Let, let, let let's move forward, though. Um, sure. Your your former presidential candidate, the one that you advised, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, is now poised to be uh, the budget chairman, uh, which um, is going to be interesting. What do you foresee uh, coming out of his committee? Uh, because we know he wants to cancel student debt. There are a lot of things that he and Biden disagree on. How do you see them coming together to help the American people? I think the good news is they agree on more than they disagree on. And I think it, and I know both men, and I've been doing this work for 31 years, and I know at their core, both men uh, want to do what's best to help average working people, no matter the color of your skin. If you're poor, if you are lower middle class, if you're just scraping by trying to figure out how to make it, they just don't want the government to be in your way and be an obstacle. They want the government to be there to help you. So I think when they when he comes out of the budget committee, he being Senator Sanders, he's going to try to be pushing for things that I've watched him do for the six years I've worked for him through two different presidential races where I've gotten to know the man really, really well. And at his core, he really does have an, an earnest yearning to make sure that things are done more fairly because 
you know, his stick about it, the 1% and all the sound bites that you love and everybody loves to talk about all come from a place of the system being rigged. And he, and, and it really just gets all over him to see that the system is rigged against poor folks. So I think you're going to see things come out of the budget committee that reflect his values. Like, I think we really could pass a $15 an hour minimum wage. I think that he will make sure in this COVID relief bill that more people are included and that there's more things to look at what people are really going through, not just bailouts for restaurants and airlines and rich people, but also what do you do with housing? What do you do with people who hadn't made the rent? What do you do with people who can't keep their water and lights on, who are really trying to make it? Like, I think you're going to see a new focus on the poor and on the working poor in this country that you've never saw before. Oh, I tell you, I hope that it's a focus on the poor, the working poor, but also the small business owner. Because if nothing has become clearer throughout this pandemic, uh, it's become clear that small business is truly the engine of this country. Uh, and small business owners are suffering right now, uh, taking out loans from the SBA and other parts of the government that, you know what, there, there, there may be a point in time where they may not be able to pay them back. Uh, I, I'm certainly hoping hoping that forgiveness is on Senator Sanders' mind and, 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 and on uh, President-elect Biden's mind uh, because we've got to figure out how to restart the engine of this economy. This pandemic has brought our economy to a standstill in most sectors. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious as to your opinion as to how we restart and how you feel those that you've supported and that your friends uh, of will restart the economy and small business. I think that that's right, and and I should have said that in my comments, is that we aren't looking for more bailouts for Amazon and Walmart, knowing that there are people that work at both of those. But it's, you know, and I used to explain to Bernie when I was with him, I own a political consulting shop. I have got three employees. All four of us are people of color. All four of us are either immigrants or children of first-generation immigrants, and I built my business. I built it over 11 years by myself. I never got a government loan. I never got an assistance from somebody, uh, and I understand, and nobody in my family had ever had any wealth or had ever built a business, so there was no roadmap for me like there are for lots of other folks. And I would talk, and me and Bernie would have these conversations about what it's like when I have to make a decision on staffing and, and, and paying business taxes that I didn't even know how they worked. And so he does have an understanding of that, and he's very sympathetic to those small businesses on the corners, the mom-and-pop shops, the ones who are a lot of those made by people of color and immigrants who are making these small businesses work. And so I think you don't have to worry about Bernie's, uh, uh, the way he thinks about that, because I've I've been in debates with him one-on-one where we've talked about how more, uh, this is bigger affected on, on poor people of color and on diverse communities who are actually trying to start these small businesses, because sometimes we don't have access to that capital to even get them started. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM and 99.5 HD3. We've got Democratic strategist and best-selling author Chuck Rocha here with us today. Chuck, I sure appreciate you being with us. Let's let's talk about the virus for a second, the pandemic. Uh, this president, this vice president, this new administration is going to be inheriting something that, that no president in the history of our country has ever had to deal with before, uh, a virus that's on its way to taking four hundred thousand American lives potentially by the time he takes office. I saw yesterday where he's 
unveiled a new $1.9 trillion uh, program to attack this virus. But I, I, I've got to be honest with you, Chuck, I'm getting concerned about all of these big dollars because we know that big dollars today affect our grandchildren and great-grandchildren tomorrow. How do we get out of this pandemic but yet still have a future for our children? Well, I think I would push back a little bit and say when we talk about these large dollars, when it comes to tax cuts for rich people, we never worry about where that money is going to come from. So I just set that to the side and say we should talk about this in totality when we talk about everything. Fair point. We passed Fair point. A, a, a big tax bill. But let's. I think the, the key to this now is, is that the engine of this economy, small business, people consuming, we need to get the shots in people's arms and get back to somewhat normalcy. So we're eating in those restaurants, we're getting our hair cut, we're going to the gym, and that money will, that people, some of which, the people who've had some means, have saved some of that money and ready to put that money to work. I know for myself, and I, and I see my privilege, I'm ready to get on an airplane and go somewhere, like me and, and my family, because I've been sitting in this house. Now, I'm lucky and see my privilege of being able to work from my house, but I want to put my money back in the economy. So I think that's how you start. And then once you get that economy started, you have shots in arms and you get to going, you start looking at the way this government's been run over the last four years. And even some of when, when President Obama was there, of how do we make this more equitable for everybody, giving, giving people the rights to start a business and put money into their pockets to make sure that they can invest back into the, the infrastructure of America without blowing and going and putting us, to your point, in such debt that our grandchildren will be paying for these for the rest of their lives. There has to be middle ground. And that's what we've missed in many of our politics. Well, I, I certainly pray, and I'm certainly prayerful, uh, uh, that we we get this virus under control. You know, we hear all of the rumors, we hear all of the reports that there are new strands of the virus coming. Uh, but then, too, uh, and I just had uh, Dr. Ruth Karen on my show last week to talk about the myths related to the vaccine. Uh, and, I, and I pray that we were able to dispel a lot of that for our audience. But there also is a lot of hesitation out there about taking this vaccine. Uh, so it's my prayer that folks realize that this, this is the way to crush the vaccine, getting those shots in people's arms uh, so that we can move back to some sense of normalcy uh, in this country. Hey, listen, Chuck, I just wanted to ask you real quick, because you're, you're with us, you, you wrote this book, uh, T.O. Burning. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, because it's true, uh, uh, the Latino community played a great role in this last election. Tell us a little bit about your book and how our audience can get it. You can go to toburningbook.com. And this book is a personal journey for me. That first part of the book tells the story of a, of a Mexican redneck, myself, growing up in East Texas with a teenage mother, uh, a teenage mother that was single, uh, who raised me and my little sister in a trailer house next to my grandmama's house on a little farm where I went to work in a factory, got involved in the union, then got involved in politics and was so blessed to be able to do the work that I do today. But I'm one of the few people of color who work at the highest level of politics. I'm one of the only operatives who've never been to college a day in my life. I also have a past criminal record that I've overcome and built an entire life and career after that. I am the American dream showing what's possible if you don't go to college and you do make mistakes in your life. And I, that story needed to be tell, told for other people who may come through challenges in their life. And then the second half of the book shows exactly how we built out the Bernie campaign. 
I was honored to be there from the beginning, build out most of the campaign staff, get to run a lot of the day-to-day operations, and then build out the most historic Latino outreach operation in American political history by empowering young Latino staffers, fully funding that, not siloing it off, and really listening to the community tell us how they wanted a campaign run and then running it in that way. This story needed to be told so people would know what was possible, not to throw accolades on myself or my team, but to say, if we can do it, other people should be doing it, and we should be doing it at a high level to represent our community. So it was my honor to get to write the book. I hope you enjoyed the book. It's a really great read. And for those of you who've listened to me now for 20 or 30 minutes, when you read the book, it's like I'm talking to you because I actually wrote this book. So you have a lot of funny accents that you can hear in the book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Chuck Roach, a Democratic strategist, best-selling author, a former advisor to presidential candidate Senator Bernie Sanders. Man, I want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office this Sunday. You've given us a lot of great information and a lot to think about. Listen, great luck to you as we continue to move towards a sense of normalcy. Keep dodging that virus and my best to you and your family. Thank you, sir. Philly's favorite listeners, as we think about race and equality and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, whose birthday we will celebrate uh, this coming Monday, uh, I wanted to have a conversation with someone uh, that could help us understand uh, a bit of what's going on in America today through that lens. And I want to welcome into the pastor's office this Sunday, uh, Dr. Alveda King, activist, author, former state representative. Representative of Georgia, author of eight books, uh, uh, just one who has blazed a trail on her own, but is the niece of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Dr. King, welcome into the pastor's office. It's such a joy to join you and your church members and your community, and hello. How are you? Happy New Year, everyone. And Happy New Year to you. Uh, Dr. King, I know our time with you is limited today, and I really want to thank you for joining us. Let's go right into it. Uh, uh, We saw on January 6th, Uh, 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 civil unrest at the capital of these United States. Uh, They were contesting uh, the election of Joseph R. Biden as the new president of the United States. Now, as I've followed your career and followed some of your political uh, support over the past several years, I know you voted for President Trump. I I know that you worked on the advisory board for Black Voices for Trump. Uh, uh, You have been a supporter of the president. Uh, When you saw what happened uh, on January 6th, what was going through your mind? What were you thinking? How did you process that? Well, it was a blessing for me to have friends who were there, boots on the ground. Several of my friends were bus captains, and they took buses to Washington, D.C. on January 6th. So they were not rioting. They were not disrupting. And they kept calling, and they were like, there are people here saying they're Trump supporters, but they're rioting and they're doing bad things and they're hurting people. So I remembered exactly what I thought. I went, my mind went back to the 1960s when I was a youth organizer. And I would ask my daddy, Reverend A.D. King, Martin Luther King Jr.'s brother, I said, Daddy, why are people going to burn up their own houses and throw bricks through their own car windows? He said, that's not them doing that. They come in like wolves in sheep's clothing and pretend to be part of the group, but they're not. 
So my friends went, and there were many, many buses, and thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands, and they were going to knock on the doors at the Capitol uh, of the people they elected and leave letters and protest and say, do something to stop all this. So I just thought about, I said, God, we just need you. I said, this state of unrest is very true, where there's envy and strife, that's in the book of Galatians, there's confusion in every evil work. So, yeah, that's what I thought. I just said, oh, my God. Well, Dr. King, I guess one of the things that intrigues me, uh, and we'll we'll move on to a couple of other topics before we have to let you go, is that you have been a fervent uh, and and strong supporter uh, of the 45th president of these United States. I'm a friend. I'm his friend. I'm actually his friend. Well, tell us a little bit about that friendship and tell us a little bit about where that support has developed, because as I'm sure you are aware, uh, uh, most of our most of our community uh, has not been supportive of this president. Well, because just people perish for lack of knowledge. We did not see easily. Before President Trump was president, when he was Mr. Trump businessman, he was giving out money in our communities and helping Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson get into Wall Street and just all kinds of things, helping so many people, which he reflected as president to the billions to the historically black colleges and universities, to the African-American fathers and mothers who were sent back home from jail to their families, to the uh, payroll protection plan funding that he got to work with Democrats and Republicans to pass to get into the pocketbooks of people. So he didn't change. He was not a racist ever. And I know that, and as I say, he's my friend, and I voted for him because he's the most pro-life president ever, and also on religious freedom, because we had gotten to a place in America where it was a sin to say Merry Christmas almost, and people would roll their eyes if you said Merry Christmas and say, Happy Holidays. And I was like, what? So he said, we will say Merry Christmas again. And like me, I used to be pro-abortion. I had two secret abortions in the 70s and a miscarriage and all that. And when I became born again in 83, I repented for taking away the civil rights of babies in the womb. Because that's what I had done. And uh, President Trump changed from pro-abortion or pro-choice to pro-life as well. So how do you explain the civil unrest in the country right now. I mean, what 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 reason other than racism uh, can we give to the unrest that has that has been become so overt uh, between the white and black communities today? Well, Martin Luther King Jr., my uncle, my daddy Eddie King's brother, said we must learn to live together as brothers. I had sisters or parents together as fools. And Acts 17, 26 says, of one blood, God made all people. Yes, ma'am. Every nation, tongue, and trust. So we're not separate races. And as I say, we are fighting over skin color. And skin color is sociologically engineered, it's socially engineered, that we are different people, different races of people. We're only one human race. So here we are in envy and strife, fighting over skin color. When it's time to really, and I'm an evangelist, I'm a Christian evangelist, it's time to repent for all of our sins, everybody, and get back to God. It just is. Well, Dr. King, I, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I'm going to leave you or, or end this interview with this one final question. Uh, your uncle, 
Dr. Martin Luther King. We will celebrate his life uh, this Monday. And I tell people all the time, we shouldn't just celebrate his life uh, the third week of January. We should celebrate it all the time for all that he did. You know, in your opinion, you knew him well. Uh, how would he uh, feel about what's going on in our country today, the transition now from Trump to Biden. Uh, would he see hope? Would he see hope in the fact that Kamala Harris is the new vice president of these United States, something that he fought for uh, while he was here on this earth? I mean, give us your perception of what he would feel if he were here today. In the King family legacy, and that's Daddy King, my granddaddy, A.D. King, my daddy, Martin Luther King, uh, Jr., my uncle, and then my great-great-granddaddy, Adam Daniel Williams, King, I think they would say, look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Don't put your confidence in humans. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge the Lord. And Jesus is my Lord. And he'll make your path straight. So I would say, I would suggest they would say it's praying time. Amen. Amen. Well, Dr. Alveda King, niece of the Reverend Martin Luther King, daughter of the Reverend A.D. King, granddaughter of the Reverend Martin Luther King Sr., I just want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office today. I wish you Godspeed as you continue to deliver light on every street corner and tell somebody that there is a Savior for this world. Thank you, ma'am, for joining us today. We appreciate you. Same here. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. Bye. God bless. Philly's favorite listeners, I want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office this Sunday. I pray that you've enjoyed the show, but most importantly, I pray that the show has stimulated some thought, maybe even encouraged you to go out and do a little more to make sure that this country and that this world is better off for those that are coming after us. I certainly want to thank Chuck Rocha and Dr. Alveda King for being my guest here today. They provided us with some great information. And as they used to say when I was a child, some things that'll make you say, hmm. Well, listen, Philly's favorite family, I'm about to get out of here. I'm about to start my week, uh, get prepared for my week, but I certainly want to invite you to join us right back here in the pastor's office next Sunday at 2 p.m. We've got some great guests coming to the pastor's office to share with you. So do me a favor and join us right back here next Sunday at 2 p.m., same Holy Ghost channel, same Holy Ghost time, as we bring in the newsmakers of the day to talk to our Philly's favorite family. God bless you and have an awesome week. And always remember this, as we leave each other's presence, don't you ever leave the presence of the Lord. God bless you, family. See you next week. Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Faber. Yeah.